0: Hello, brothers and sisters. This is the "Come Follow Me" Made Easier series podcast, and you are so welcome uh, to be with us today. My name is Thomas Holton. I'm one of the Cedar Fort authors, and I'm grateful to be with you today to talk about Jeremiah. And I'm I'm so happy that we can have this discussion. I And love these concepts of the prophet Jeremiah. I think he was a a mighty man of courage. He was a man uh, fit for purpose. The Lord gave him a great task to perform, and he truly was up to that task. He was called upon to preach a great message of repentance and redemption to the people of Israel, and that was not easy. wasn't popular but he was a man full of the Spirit. He was commissioned by God, and he was empowered to speak boldly and courageously for God. And so often prophets do that. They speak hard doctrines. They speak inconvenient truths to us. And how grateful I am for these great prophets who who speak the needed messages that we need to hear, messages of reproof um, and correction but also messages of hope and redemption, messages of joy and gladness, messages that can confront us and um, so that we can face the difficulties and the weaknesses of our lives and our shortcomings and our errors and our transgressions and our failings and even our rebellion and sin, that we can face the challenges of our lives and do what the Lord would have us do. So we're going to talk about Jeremiah chapters 30 to 36, and then Lamentations 1 and 3. And really to focus on some of the core themes in the time that we have together, I would encourage you to study these chapters and to reflect on them and to think about those messages that are difficult in our lives to hear. For example, What messages might the Lord be willing to give you that um, challenge you to do better and to be better or to give to your family or to give to all of us in the church and in the world messages that uh, encourage us to do better and to be better. So in chapter 30, let's have a look at that. Here we know that Jeremiah refers to the last days. And in the last days that Israel and Judah will be gathered. I love some of the concepts in verse 3. The Lord said he would cause them, Israel and Judah, to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall possess it. There's that promise that in the last days, uh, the land, the covenant land, the lands of promise would be given back uh, to those scattered tribes, all the twelve tribes, would receive back the lands that had been promised. That was a part of an everlasting inheritance. And how grateful we are to know that, that that's the promise of the Lord. Also that the Lord said, I will break his yoke from off thy neck and burst thy bonds. This in many ways has reference to that captivity that the house of Israel would be in. It would experience captivity through so many years and be under the bondage of other powers. And of course, there are lessons to be learned in captivity. But also to know that the last days, in those last days, the Lord would redeem the house of Israel and uh, break them free from the bondage, both a temporal bondage and a spiritual bondage bondage, bondage to others, and that the Lord wanted a free people, a covenant people, and he wanted them to be able to worship God according to the dictates of their own conscience. And of course, he made promises that the covenant people of the Lord, yes, they will be scattered due to unfaithfulness, but also gathered according to their righteousness in the last days we're told in verse 10, Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be quiet. So the covenant people would find the rest of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the promises of the Lord, the glory of the Lord in the last days. And Jeremiah is preaching that message that God has a long-term view. He has a long-term strategy. He doesn't just see for the moment. We know that Israel was captive and many times was iniquitous. But that in the last days, that great gathering would happen and a great redemption, a great return to the promises and the confidence of the Lord. We're told that the Lord would correct thee in measure in verse 11. And this idea of chastening, this idea of correction, this idea that the Lord has the capacity to correct our wrongdoings and to help us to overcome our failings, to help us to overcome our transgressions, and also our sins, our rebellions, our stubbornness. That the Lord is situated to help us to become better. And he sometimes gives us hard doctrine, wintry doctrine. If you like, he sometimes has to confront us and correct our misdeeds. And that should be welcomed. As we welcome the message of the Lord, we find great power, great promise in that, that the Lord wants to save us and he can save us. Verse 22 says, "Ye shall be my people and I will be your God. So it is that God wants a covenant people. And those covenants are more than contractual in nature. Contracts often involve responsibilities, but they don't always involve love. They don't always involve repentance. They don't always involve forgiveness. Um, But the covenants of the Lord are, are what we belong to, and they're what bind us to God and bind us to each other bind us to our family and friends in good and positive and longing ways and in enduring ways. And so God wants to be the God of the people of Israel. He wants a chosen people, he wants a covenant people, a people who love him and serve him and keep his commandments, a people whose desire is to let God prevail. And he will be their God, he will be their high tower, their protector, their shield, their redemption. So then moving on to chapter 31, again speaking of the redemption of Israel in the last days, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. There's a real sense that God is a being of everlasting love. He's the supreme being, the supreme sovereign, and he leads in love, he guides in love, he reigns in love. He's a being of righteousness, he's a being of perfection, and he loves us with a pure love. He has no ulterior motives, no manipulations. He he genuinely and everlastingly loves us. It's one of the attributes of his divine nature. The Lord says, He that scattered Israel will gather him. So, yes, the Lord scattered Israel because of their rebellion and disobedience. But that wasn't going to be the end of the story. He was going to gather them together again in that redemptive union, that union in the last days, that he would bring them back together, that the Lord is the Lord of the gathering, and he brings his people in righteous unity together again. And how wonderful it is to have that concept that the Lord gathers that which he scatters. And also the Lord then refers in verse 12 to this idea of in the last days, their soul shall be as a watered garden. He talks about the abundance that he will bring to covenant Israel. He talks about not scarcity, not famine, not hunger. Uh, but but the abundance of knowledge, the abundance of flourishing, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so the Lord always wants to bring Israel to abundance. He wants Israel to prosper, but to do so in righteous ways, in covenant keeping and abiding ways. And what powerful concepts these are. I love the imagery of a watered garden, that Israel is to flourish, blossom and prosper. And the Lord says, I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them. That's verse 13. This idea of beauty for ashes, the idea of consolation, the idea that Israel has struggled, has had hardship, has had sorrow. But Israel will learn to flourish. It will rejoice. It will be glad. It will find joy and comfort and belonging and togetherness and unity. All those wonderful things which are the promise of the Lord. In verse 31 of chapter 31, we're told the Lord will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob. He had a covenant in times past. The people broke that covenant, but in the last days that covenant will be brought back. We know that Joseph Smith received the new and everlasting covenant uh, from God it was a restoration of the Abrahamic covenant. And he was so blessed to have that opportunity to bring back that which was lost, to restore that which had been broken. And it would be a new and an everlasting covenant. It would be a new dispensation, but also it would last eternally, that that dispensation would not end in apostasy. The Lord says I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. I often think that the ordinances and the covenants of the gospel are to bless us internally. Myself and brother Sam Castor, he, he's another a- author with Cedar Fort, and I'm sure you're familiar with he wrote the book Zion Rising. Myself and Sam were discussing this recently about how the law the law of the Lord changes us internally. It changes not simply our behavior, but our nature. It changes our way of thinking, our way of feeling, our way of acting. It changes us to the very core. And we know that God has the power to make us new, uh, to give us a new identity, new characteristics, new attributes, and a new soul to actually change us, to renew our spirits and our bodies. And I often think of the ordinances of the sacrament and, and, and of the temple, that those ordinances are intended to affect us internally. For example, in the sacrament, we eat bread and drink water. They become a part of us. And so it is with the covenants and the doctrines and the ordinances. They're to become a part of our lives. They're not simply things we believe, not, not just things we assent to. Intellectually, but the gospel is to change us, to endow us with power, to change our characteristics and our nature, to give us a newness of life. And of course, Jeremiah is foreshadowing this. He's looking down through the generations of time to see that the time will come when the Lord will change his people internally, that he will give them a new covenant, a new law, which would be everlasting. I often think of the temple. And the covenants and the ordinances of the temple, and that we wear those reminders and um, in our in our bodies we 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 remember the Lord, we remember the tokens of his sacrifice and on the cross, and we we think about the Lord, we think about the covenants and the ordinances of the gospel, and they uh, impact us internally and um, and they affect us they're not just Words on a page or engravings on on tablets of stone that these laws and ordinances impact us in the way we see the very world, the Lord says in speaking about the knowledge of God in the last days that every man will know the Lord, for they shall all know me. People won't have to wonder who knows the Lord because that knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth, and that that revealed knowledge of God is so important for us to have that the people of Israel, the covenant people of Israel need to know the Lord individually and collectively and in the family that that knowledge and revelation of the goodness of God, his love, his mercy, his plans and purposes are to be spread out like a flood throughout covenant Israel and throughout the world and come follow me as a part of that. That we see the Lord revealing his knowledge, his prophetic promises to the people of Israel in our own homes, in our church buildings, and in the temple. That great knowledge of the Lord is being given to us, not just the knowledge about the Lord, but the intimate knowledge of his goodness, his characteristics, his nature. How grateful we are to have that knowledge. In chapter 32, We know that Jeremiah is imprisoned by the king. But Jeremiah is a man with a mission. He's a man with courage. He was prepared and foreordained to be strong in a time of challenge. And we can learn so many lessons from that. In this day and age, when we struggle, when the world is hard, when there's financial trouble and war and health challenges, mental health challenges, and and all the other difficulties we face, the struggle of knowing who we are and where we belong, we can have this hope. that God is good, in fact, He says in verse seventeen, Jeremiah says, "There is nothing too hard for thee. There's nothing too difficult for the Lord. Anything good, He can do. And His message of salvation is something He can accomplish. He can save the world. He can speak to the world. He can." hug the people of the world and visit them and reveal his plan to them and love them and serve them and answer their prayers. So God truly is good. He has great power and a stretched out arm. He's great in counsel and mighty in work. So God is capable of doing the things that we can't do. We can't save ourselves. We can't remit our own sins. We can't resurrect ourselves. We can't create kingdoms of glory. We can't create worlds. (coughs) But God can. He can do all these things. He can do what's needed. He can save a fallen people. He can restore that which is lost. He can um, bind up the brokenhearted. In fact, we're told God will give the people one heart, one way. That makes me think of the covenant way, the covenant path. That's the path of redemption. That's the path that leads to God, that leads to Christ. And the Lord gives us one heart, one mind, one faith, one baptism, one doctrine. And we can be unified in that. We can be unified in the righteousness that God gives us. We can know his standards and we can belong with other believers and we can belong With other people, the covenant people of the Lord. And we can invite all the world to participate in this covenant. It's not an exclusionary covenant. It's a covenant that seeks to bring everyone in on conditions of repentance and faithfulness. So the Lord will unify Zion. He'll bring back that which is fractured, that which is splintered, that which is broken, including the the house of Israel itself which is broken up. He's bringing it back. And that's the great work of our day. But the Lord said he will bring all the good that I've promised them back to us. He gives us good. He will always bless us. If we do good, he will bless us. If we repent, he will bless us. If we seek him, he will bless us. And so we guard against Justification and rationalization. We guard against rebellion. We check ourselves. We look at ourselves and humble ourselves in sincerity before God. In chapter 33, the Lord says this I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they've sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities. The Lord is serious about that. He wants to remit our sins, He wants to wash them away. Our anger, our hatred, our pride, our lust, all the temptations of the flesh, uh, all the things that distract us and divert us. And as we see from the vantage point of the Lord, as we see his eternal perspective, as we uncover the veil, if you like, and and read the scriptures and study our patriarchal blessings and reflect on the covenants of the Lord and the temple. As we spend that time with God in daily and sincere prayer, we come to know that he can change us. He can wipe away our sins. He can make us new. And I've seen that miracle in my life. I've seen it in the lives of others and how grateful I am for that. But We have a Messiah who will clean us, who will wash us from the inside, who will make us new, who will save our weary souls. In chapter 36, uh, we reflect on the prophecies of Jeremiah. And we also know that the king burned the book of prophecy and judgment came upon him for doing that. The Lord doesn't want us to burn his holy book, he wants us to love him and to read his words and to rejoice in his doctrines and to learn that these holy things are not unimportant. They're not trivial. They are important. It does matter if we keep our word. It does matter if we honor our covenants. It does matter if we respect others and if we honor life and if we honor people's property and we keep the commandments of God, all the commandments to do with virtue, to do with morality, to do with obedience, to do with being faithful. In what we say and what we what we do with our lives, so the Lord said, "I will uh, forgive their iniquity and their sin, and He wants every man to return from his evil way." So He warns us to look at our lives. Jeremiah was calling upon the people to say, "Israel, are you faithful to the promises you've made? Are you faithful to God? Do you love Him?" Do you know him? Do you serve him? Um, do you remember him? God wants to be part of our lives. It's a covenant belonging. It's a, a an expression of intimacy that our covenants are to draw us close to God. Our identity is to be grounded in God. That's how we know who we are. And our traditions are not just traditions. Our righteous traditions Give us a sense of belonging, a sense of knowing who we are. So we know the Lord will forgive our iniquity. We know that the king burned the book in the the fire. But Jeremiah took another scroll, another roll. This is verse 32. And he gave it to the scribe uh, who wrote therein from the words of Jeremiah, all the words of the book which have been burned. And there were added besides unto them, them many like words. <laughs> so we know that great and glorious words were added and um, to those things that Jeremiah had already preached. The king didn't like his message. He didn't want to hear um, that, uh, about the, the law of the Lord, about the commandments about, of the Lord, about the instructions of the Lord. But burning the book couldn't make the Lord's word go away. (laughs) So not only did Jeremiah bring back those words, but he added others to them. And he was a faithful, devoted servant. And he was true to his commission, true to his message, true to the hard doctrine. And so often the Lord calls us to be faithful. In times of challenge, he stretches our souls. We're not called to be comfortable. We're not called to a life of ease or convenience. We're called to do hard things because the Lord knows that's how we learned. We learn from the bitter uh, to prize the sweet. We learn from suffering how to have empathy. We learn from difficulty how to do what is good and do what is right. We mature, we grow spiritually, we become wise. We become knowledgeable. We gain understanding. So the Lord blessed Jeremiah with more revelation, more inspiration, more knowledge, more of the mysteries, because he was true and faithful. I often think prophets are called as prophets because they're willing to do what the Lord commands. Their priority is to do what's right, not to do what's popular or what's easy. They're called upon to forge new territory to go into new terrain and to do new things that they would never done before. And that's what they do. They love the Lord. They love his cause. They love his work. And they love us. And so they preach those doctrines which are true, not necessarily easy, not the ones that we agree with all the time, but the ones that will confront us, the ones that will open our eyes, the ones that will help us to know the truth. And, and so I'm grateful for the prophet Jeremiah for doing these kinds of things. He was a, He was a very special man because he was willing to do hard things for the Lord. And I believe that applies to all the prophets and to all of us. We can do hard things. We can do courageous things. We can show courage under fire. We can show mercy. We can do what needs to be done. And um, Then in Lamenta- Lamentations uh, 1 and 3, we're going to look at those as well. And I find these really interesting because obviously the word lamentation means sorrow and grief. And Jeremiah was a man of love. He was a prophet who loved his people. And it's it's no wonder that he had lamentation. He saw the wickedness of the people and he felt great sorrow at that wickedness. He, as we do when we love anyone, will feel sorrow when they make choices that are uh, stubborn and rebellious and that hurt them. We love them and we want them to be blessed. And so he was was lamenting the miserable conditions of Jerusalem and the fact that Jerusalem was wicked and and was coming under bondage, was coming under condemnation from the Lord because of the choices. That um, the people were making, but then in verse, uh, ch- sorry, chapter three, he goes on to, even though he's lamenting the calamity, he goes on to talk about the goodness of the Lord, the deliverance of the Lord, the salvation of the Lord. He said, "The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. The Lord is good; he is a benevolent ruler. He is kind, generous, merciful, long-suffering." patient. And the Lord, as we've said before, the Lord takes the long-term view. We sometimes as humans get stuck in the moment with the difficulties and the challenges of the moment. But the Lord is good and he wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be saved. So he is good to us. He always honors the choice that we make. So if we make poor choices, the Lord will help us to Face the consequences of those things. And hopefully, we'll see then the wisdom of not making poor choices. As we experience the negative consequences of choosing poorly, we come to rein in our desires. We come to educate ourselves and to change our ways. And as we rely on the Lord's goodness, that He can purge us, that He can cleanse us, that He can change us. Um, And this is, of course, what Jeremiah is teaching the people that Israel is intended to be a covenant people, a people of the Lord, and they are not following his ways and need to follow his ways. And he has great hope that the Lord in due course will save the covenant house of Israel, the family of Israel. He says in verse 26, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for us to wait on the Lord, for us to trust in him, to hope on him. That hope is, is grounded in reality. It's not fool's errand. It's not naive. It's not a mistake. <clears throat> we know that God is good. He's revealed himself as a generous God, as a good God, as a loving God, as a God who's merciful, who's willing to forgive on conditions of repentance, as we are sincere With him, as we level with him, as we are penitent before him, both as individuals, as families, as an entire covenant people, as a world, as we come unto him, he will forgive us, he will redeem us. So, how blessed we are uh, to know that. Verse 31 For the Lord will not cast off forever. The Lord wants to save, not to condemn. He wants to bring us back. He wants to bring us to him. And he can do that. He can do it with a mighty outstretched arm. He has power to do things that we can't do. So I'm grateful for those ideas that Jeremiah is preaching, which are so pertinent to our day when we are living in these challenging times in preparation for the second coming of the Lord. And then verse 40, let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let's examine ourselves. Let's look at our lives. Let's check to see what we're doing. Are we living in a way that's pleasing to God? Is our conscience clear? And that's something we all have to uh, come to terms with. To come to terms with the, the foolishness sometimes that we have. But the Lord knows our circumstances. He knows our background. He knows our upbringing. He knows the situations we live in, the circumstances, and he will take all that into account. And he will help us to rise above our weaknesses. He will help us to come to terms and to recognize those things which are short-sighted and those things which are uh, weak, those things where we have failings and foibles. He'll help us to overcome all that and also help us to overcome our sins. And to correct our mistakes and to do and be better, and to turn again to him to walk in the covenant way, there are so many great and wonderful concepts that we've discussed, and that we've reflected on, and I'm really struck by the the fact that Jeremiah was a man uh, for his time. he was raised up uh, with that covenant purpose to call the people to come back to the Lord, to call the people to repent. And I often think some of the most important messages that we hear are the ones that cause us to change or that call us to account for our lives. And sometimes the prophets teach hard doctrine. But it can be so wonderful to reflect on that, to not cheat ourselves, to accept those messages. And to take them into account into our life, to measure our lives by whether we're following the Lord's way or some other path. And as we reflect sincerely and honestly on that, we know that the Lord will bless us. He will bless us with the strength to do what is right, to come unto Him, to make and keep sacred covenants. I often think covenants are such a protection, they're such a blessing to us. And as we keep them, we are strengthened. But as we falter, we can repent. The message is always one of hope. It's an optimistic message. It's a forward-looking message. It's a message that understands the victory of the Lord, that the Lord is interested in the long-term approach. He wants to save us with an everlasting salvation. He has a work to do, and that work is to save each soul that's willing to be saved. And and hence, he has given these prophets. He has given these messages. He has given these calls to repentance, which is really a message of mercy. It's a message of love. It's a message of belonging. It's a message of identity. It's a message of unity and bringing um, that which is lost back together again. So I love the correction of the Lord. And when I'm a spiritual man, I love that correction. When I'm a natural man, I don't. And so I have to repent and and find in myself that spiritual understanding, that spiritual righteousness, that call to love, the call to gentleness, the call to mercy, the call to courage, the call to endurance, the call to be part of this manifest destiny. And um, The call to resist the world, the call to stand up and to be different, to be a light, uh, the call to be honorable, to to keep my word, to make and keep covenants. The call not simply just to believe, but to act and to do and to live according to my convictions. The covenant to serve and to bless and to reach out to others and to be charitable. And to love those people around me in the household of faith and all the people that I meet. And so Jeremiah is really teaching these great and powerful messages that he, he wants to save us. He wants us to do what is right. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to be faithful. Jeremiah preached that message in his day. And again, the prophets preached that message. It's a timely message. And we can always reflect on it. We can have our sins remitted. We can be pardoned. I often think that's a wonderful promise that whatever our past has been, whatever mistakes we've made, we can change. We don't have to be held hostage to the past. We don't have to be to remain in sin. To remain in bondage. We don't have to remain lost. We can be found. We can be redeemed. We can be saved. We can be delivered. And the God of the Old Testament is a God of covenant. He's a God of promise. Sometimes his message seems harsh, but it's because his message is to call us to change and to do good and to be good. And that's a confrontational message, but it's also a message of great peace. It's a message that when we accept it, it brings great joy and consolation to our souls. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for these opportunities and these experiences we have to reflect on these prophets and to reflect on these messages. I would encourage all of us to think about those things. Think about our lives. Think about the promises and the covenants of the Lord. Think about how the Lord has promised to bring us out of a famine and to bring us into a garden of abundance a land flowing with milk and honey he has promised that he will fulfill his covenants he has reached out in these last days with his mighty arm to open the heavens to restore his knowledge to the earth the knowledge of himself and his his ways to give us the priesthood, the power and authority to act in the name of God. He has given us visions. He has given us revelations. He has given us scripture. He has given us living prophets and apostles who walk in his way. He has given us all the gifts of the Spirit, the covenants and the doctrines and the ordinances. He has given us brothers and sisters, friends and family. He has given us opportunities to serve. He has given us correction. And I love the fact that the Lord corrects us so we can learn his ways, that we can change. And he has great hope in us that we can do better and be better. And I particularly love this idea of the law being written in our inward parts. And that the gospel is to be written on the very soul, our our, our very nature. It's to be written inside of us. It's to become a part of us. It's to be a life that we believe in and that we live. It's a religion that we practice. Um, And so many things about what we practice, self-reliance and service and repentance, so many of these things affect how we live in our lives. And I'm so grateful for those great and marvelous principles. I know that God is good. I know that Jeremiah is a prophet. I know that the covenant blesses our lives. I'm so grateful for that covenant. And I encourage us all to continue to reflect on the words of the scriptures and the words of the prophets. And I know that they will be a great blessing to us in building spirituality in our lives and preparing the earth for Zion, building up Zion so that when the Lord comes again, there's a people ready to meet him and to love him and to serve him and to let him prevail that uh, loves him and his law how grateful I am for these things. It's been wonderful to be with you today, brothers and sisters, and I hope that you continue to search and to ponder and to pray and to find great joy in your study of the Lord's words. Thank you for being with us today, and God bless.